0: Uh, today's readings from John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitless unless you remain in me. Fruitful, sorry. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you very much, Claire. Oh, it is working. I pressed the right buttons. Good morning. My name is John. I live just down the road. Use that for later. Maybe needing this today. so I'm a bit croaky uh, today. I, uh, whenever I have coughs, I had whooping cough when I was a child, actually. Anybody here? Does it happen anymore? Does that, does that mark me out as a child of the ancient times? Whooping cough. And it seems that ever since I had that, I, whenever I have the slightest cough, it sounds like a really bad cough. So if you hear somebody barking away, don't pity me too much. It's just, literally, the bark is worse than the bite. Now... Um, We are beginning today a very short series on some of the words that Jesus said in a passage um, in John's Gospel. John 13 to 17, five chapters, seem all to be written, um, sayings of Jesus from the meeting in the upper room at the time of the Last Supper. And uh, it's just a, a small part of that from John 15 through to partway through John 16 In four parts, um, except over the next three weeks, for a variety of reasons, um, there are other talks uh, in the morning. So actually, you have to remember this as an introduction to three other talks that will be coming a little bit later. And it's worth trying to bear it in mind for later, partly because throughout those five chapters, as I read them in any case, Jesus often is talking about something and then he'll sort of repeat but go a little bit further and then repeat but go a little bit further And then in John 17, in fact, he turns some of the teaching he's been given to the disciples into a prayer, which, again, sort of repeats some of the same things. So you hear some of the same stuff repeated some of the same phrases. And I have to say, I personally find that very confusing sometimes I think, didn't you just say this? Oh, no, there's a little bit more. Uh, And also, I'm not very bright in certain respects like that, and I often find things uh, very confusing. It's It's a very important passage, however, to try and get our heads around, and I think sometimes if you'd been there, you'd have got it. And in fact, if you read, there's one point at which the disciples go, Now we get it. Now we get it. Now you're talking plainly. And as I read it, sometimes all those passages, that's exactly how I sort of feel, which is, okay, no, okay, yes. And then, ah, the penny starts to drop. And as I said, how you, you've been there. So it's possibly worth your while taking the opportunity to read that. John 13 to John 17. Um, the passage of teaching it's almost that it's that time obviously just before I say obviously it is that time before um, they leave the upper room cross the Kidron Brook go to the Garden of Gethsemane and everything that follows there that we remembered last week So a little bit back to front that we remembered last week all the events of Good Friday and through to Easter and it's Jesus' last chance as it were to speak to the disciples and you almost might say cram them right just Last block of teaching here, so to speak. This is how it's going to be. And well worth trying to get your head around. Um, I think it's sometimes quite difficult to get the head get it around. As I say, partly because of that partial repetition and then move on. But also just some of the phrases uh, that Jesus uses. Especially this idea of things being in things. Which I kind of... Hang on. Hang on. Who's in what? And, and Let me just read this. Partly uh, Part of what uh, Claire has just read from verse 4... My words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done. So all these sort of transactions. And as I say, if you read the whole passage, I'm just going to read a little bit from before and a little bit from behind. So it's a similar passage from John 14. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father as well, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And then from John 17, when Jesus turns a lot of this teaching to a prayer, My prayer, Father, is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one I in them and you in me and as I say just reading that sort of stuff reminds me very much of this um, piece of film that I hope Robin's going to be able to play for us James Finlayson by the way that chap there Whoa, just a genius right lovely you see what I mean And I think sometimes when you read that passage, certainly maybe it's just me, but I've read it many times and I still think, hang on, who are we talking about now? So what I want to try to do is simplify matters, really. And in the passage we read today, and to be honest, throughout a lot of this, backwards and forwards of who's in what, who gave it to what, um, I do love that. I think what Jesus is telling us, telling his disciples of any age, is that, The best way to live, in in fact, in practice, if you read it, really the only way to live is in him, in Jesus. The best way for us to live is to live in Jesus, at which point we perfectly reasonably ask the question, I think, well, what exactly does that mean? What does it mean to live in Jesus? And we could study that subject to death. It's almost certain that people have done but I think based on this the vine and the branch metaphor that, that, that we've uh, just had read to us by Claire, I think it's fair to say that living in Jesus, to live in him, to live in Jesus, is to live so close to him, so connected to him, so hand in hand with him, that we are essentially living as part of him. Now that might sound a little odd <clears throat> in certain respects, but actually you see elsewhere in scriptures, there's a lot to be said about the closeness of that relationship We're familiar with the idea of the body of Christ. And sometimes it's easy to think of that just as being somehow we're a body of believers. But actually there's much more to it than just a group of people who happen to believe in Jesus. We are literally part of his body. That's how it's supposed to be. Some key passages on this um, in chapter 12. Actually, both of them are chapter 12. Chapter 12 of Paul's letter to the Romans and chapter 12 of his letter to the Corinthians. His first letter to Corinthians Paul explains a lot about this idea of us all being part of Christ's body. That doesn't mean to say we're clones, because we're parts of. Just as I have a nose, a heart, a, a thumb, they're all part of me. All do quite different things, quite importantly different things, but also important things. So I think the idea of what we're talking about here is this, how do we actually be part of that body? The theory is there, perhaps. What does it actually mean to be in Christ? What is it, how do we do that? How are we part of his body? How does that actually work? And I've been reading about this. And some of the things I read were, well, to be in Christ is, for example, to have a belief in him. You need, in order to be in Jesus, you need to have a belief in him, a belief that he is God's son, a belief that he is your Lord and your saviour. And that's, that's good. So intellectual belief, that's, that's fine. Um, Another way of being part of Christ and showing you're part of Christ, but actually what it means to be in Jesus is that we would obey his commands, do what he says. And there's quite a bit about that in this big passage that that, that, that we're talking about here, Uh, about, you know, this is how people will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Love is a huge thing. You know, that's one way of knowing that we are in God, one way of one representation is that we will love God, that we will love Jesus, that we will love others, that we will love particularly others who are part of that body and respect them. So there's a kind of, in terms of being in, in, in Jesus, there's this sense of, well, we get to be there by our beliefs and we get to be there by what we do. But it seems to me there must be that little bit more. And Jesus talks about this in the context of, I think, of the vine. But actually, how are parts of a body connected. Blood flows, doesn't it? In the vine, sap flows. There's something that really connects, and it's not just what happens up here. And it's not just what we do. You could mimic being part of somebody. You do the right things. It's not just what we do. And you could give intellectual assent to a belief system. But there's more to it than that. I think that's one of the things about the vine metaphor that is used here branches are directly connected if they're not there they're not they're very much not but those that are something flows as it were so sap in that thing or in a body blood flows what is that connector i'll come on to that but one of the things that strikes me about this in a sense is that because we need to deal with this because it's in the passage that claire just read is that's all very well but jesus is saying actually a little bit more isn't he than live in me, he's saying, what about if you don't? And I, as, as often, I often think, when you read a passage like that, just eight verses, I often think, "Right, well, let's have a quick straw poll. Of those eight verses, which one stuck out most to you? And often that would be, you might say one, you might say another, and you might say another. And I think one of the, some of the passages that might stick out there are these ones about, what about those branches? Then What about those ones that are cut off? we read about them Jesus talks in verses two and six of that passage of fruitless branches being cut off chucked out and burned you know they might they're quite stark aren't they and much has and could be written about that and much more has and could be said about that but I think the thing for me is it just follows in with some other stuff I've been reading recently is that it seems to me that those passages are there because they need to be because they're factual but they're not the driver. The driver is the good news. Live in me. That is the way to live. But I think Jesus uses the, and, and the if-nots as natural answers to people who might ask that question. Well, what if? You say live this way. What about if I didn't? It's, it's important to cover that ground. And I think what Jesus is pointing out to us that the choice, as it will be, for us to live in him. It's neither a neutral one, neither is it inevitable. We have options, and those options have different consequences. And it's right to point that out. It's right to point that out. Elsewhere in the passage that that, that Claire just read for us, he makes that, again, that this or that. Um, In verse four, he compares the fruitfulness of branches uh, that are attached to the vine with the lack of fruitfulness of the branches that will leave the vine. In verse 5, he underlines that point with this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's not just the in me that is but apart from me that. And I think it's important to do that. I don't know if any of you are reading the Bible in the year at the moment. If you are doing like I'm doing, it, reading it in any sort of conventional way, as you, as you chunk your way through. I've been reading my way through Deuteronomy in the last few days. Anybody been doing that as a matter of interest? Deuteronomy, the top top Part of the, in my respect, part of those, my opinion, sorry, of the, the five books of the Bible. It's quite challenging stuff, but it puts a lot of context in. And one of the things I've been reading over the last couple of days is Moses addressing the people of Israel just before they're about to enter the promised land. He goes on, and this day I set before you, this day I set before you. And what he's setting before the people of Israel is our blessings, the blessings that will follow to them when they enter the land assuming they remain in God effectively it's the same word you are faithful to God this is, these are the blessings that God has in mind for you but Moses also says the curses which is a challenging word for us I think especially coming from God There is; it won't inevitably follow that way we know in history that it didn't follow that way and actually part of what Moses is saying is prophetic this is what God has in store for you this is what he has in mind, these good things. But just so you know. And I think that's the kind of thing Jesus is talking about here. It isn't neutral, and there are consequences of our choices. Paul, I think this is used quite a lot. Paul uses a similar phrase. I've often found this a similar way of talking um, in a familiar passage um, in Galatians. We've about the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. We're very familiar with the fruit of the Spirit, our love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Just before that, Jesus talks about the act of the sinful nature, which we tend not to look at in a certain way, and for good reason. What he's saying is, there's this, but there's also this. And actually, the fruit of the Spirit, the life lived that way, is, 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 is juxtaposed with life to be lived the other way it could be lived, and, and rightly so. And what I love specifically about that juxtaposition of Paul's in Galatians is he, he, he just puts it down, lays it on the line, the acts of the sinful nature, as it were, but then goes on not to say, so don't live like that. This is how to live. In other well, don't so much eschew that. Don't work out, oh, there's a sin, right? Let's try not to do that one. Let's just, let's just park that. That's a choice. That's a way of life. Now, how about this? much better way of life. And I think that that's what's happening here as well. Jesus is right to point out, as I said, options and consequences. But he's just using it as counterpoint. He's using it for dramatic emphasis, for juxtaposition. The point for us is, let's choose to be in Jesus. Let's choose to be in Jesus. He wants, Jesus does, to be very clear to us that living in him is the way to live. And the reason he wants to do that is that that is the way that we can be fruitful. What does that mean? Well, one of my favorite verses, if not my favorite verse in the whole of Scripture is John 10.10. What does it mean to be fruitful? It means really what Jesus is talking about here. You live in me. And that will be the most satisfying life you could have, John 10.10 that idea of life in all its fullness that is life in me you might think it's something else and some of those other something else can be attractive but life in me is the way to live do you get that he's saying to his disciples that's what he's spending his time i think building up to in some other things as well as he's going through that passage but it's very important because i don't know if you've found that yourself if you're trying as it were to to encourage somebody you know it might be Your children, it might be a friend, it might be somebody else that's something really good they might want to appropriate, something that's good they might do. Quite often you use that kind of, well, you could do that, but what about this? And it's that sense of focusing on the good thing by drawing drawing attention to alternatives. And I think that's something that's happening here. So, Jesus' point is, live in me, that is the best way to live. There are other ways. This is the best way to live. And it's the best way to live because it's best for you. It's best for you. Now, we might all give intellectual assent to that as well. Okay, right, okay, if Jesus says so, it's good enough for me. The problem about it is that how do we actually live in Christ? I mentioned this earlier on. How do we actually do that? We might know sort of what it means in theory, this idea of... Being connected, this idea of an intellectual ascent of doing what Jesus says, but how do we actually do it? I think we often, perhaps especially when we read passages like this, think, well, actually, can I? Do I? Am I? I might want to, but golly, it's hard. Something seems to be missing. And, and as I read that passage, I think possibly the thing that would normally pop up most for me, um, putting aside the hins and use in its is the, the, the bit where uh, Jesus says this, if you remain in me, this is verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And that's quite tremendous thing, just ask, ask anything and it will be done for you. And then you think, well, hang, hang on, that says ask anything and it will be done for you if you remain in me. And so I think, well, hang on. I often ask for things that don't get done for me. Some of them are really, really worthy. I pray for world peace and everything, right? They don't get done for me. So logically, looking at verse 7 here, I can't be remaining in Jesus. Jesus says, if you remain in me, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So when I ask For whatever I wish. And even when I'm conscious that, yeah, of course it shouldn't be about Mercedes or something for me, that's not in the character of Jesus. Even when I ask for things that are in the character of Jesus, they don't get done. So I can't be remaining in him then. So that's a little bit depressing, isn't it? You know, I'm trying to do the right thing. And I got an idea of the kind of things and I'd like to think I'm remaining in Jesus. I come to church and everything, and I pray, and I study, and I, so what's going on? Then you add the fact that that particular verse, this idea of ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you, that little phrase, you might start thinking, ah, well, maybe I'm just taking that one little phrase out of context a bit, that I'm not getting the context right. Well, two things about that. One is, you might be but more context is there, because that phrase, the ask and you'll get phrase, is repeated four times in this passage, three other times. Jesus uses the same essential phraseology in, in chapter 14, he uses it again later in chapter 15, and again in chapter 16. So it's not just a one-off little thing that the translators may have got wrong, or I might be thinking about. It's there. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Well, that's... That's kind of a bit challenging. Again, so in other words, I haven't taken that out of context, but what does it mean? It's still there, and I'm still worried about whether I'm in Christ or not. This thing that Jesus says, that's the thing to do, I, I want to. And I see what it is, and I think I am, and I'm trying, but it's not working. So that we left with that this little bit where we sort of want to enter, but we think it just seems more complicated than Jesus is saying it. And in a way, it is a little bit more complicated. In a way, it's not. And I think if I were asked to encourage you to read a, another passage to sort of get context for what we're talking about here, I'd read Romans 8, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8. It's, a different, it's saying different stuff, in many research, but it has a lot to say about what it means to, but also how to live in Christ. As we're sitting there thinking, I want to, Jesus says I should, this sounds like the best thing for me, but I'm struggling with how I actually do because it doesn't seem to be working out. Read Romans 8 and also think back to what I was saying about this thing about how are we actually living in Christ. This idea of the sap, connecting branches and the vine or blood. Actually, what's making that connection? What allows us, what enables that actual living in Something that Jesus, that Paul says in Romans 8, and here's Romans 8, chapter 8, and again uses that counterpoint, that the one and the other. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live accordance, in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Now, it's the first time I mentioned the Spirit this morning, and for a point, the Holy Spirit is what seals the deal. It's the connection. It's the sap, the blood, whatever you want. That real, actual connection. Holy Spirit is what makes it possible for us actually to live. And then specifically of that verse, those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So going back to that point, I'm saying I'm asking the right sort of things, but they don't seem to be happening. So am I in Christ? It's not just the right sort of things. It's the right thing. It's the thing. Spirit giving us access to the actual mind of Christ. It's only with the Spirit's help, the Holy Spirit's help, that we are truly able to live in Christ. We can't just do it by wanting to, by doing the right things or agreeing that it would be a good idea. Because if, by the Spirit, we have our mind set on what the Spirit desires, what Paul's talking about in Romans 8.8 8 there, not only generally what the Spirit desires, but specifically what the Spirit desires for any particular circumstance, then we would start to find we, ask, we get what we ask for because the Spirit is telling us exactly what to do. Not just a good idea. We're not just living close to Jesus, as it were. And that's sometimes, I think, that can frustrate us. We feel close and we have a reasonable idea of what Jesus would want us to do in any given circumstance. With the Spirit... We're asking as somebody who is actually in Jesus, someone who knows exactly what he wants to do. I just want to give you a quick, quick example. Did anybody here or at the conference that followed um, come to hear Robbie Dawkins speak? He spoke in the evening here a few, year, few weeks ago. Anybody else? What struck me about that, he was praying for people and they were healed. Right there, right here. Okay. Okay. And one of the things, you know, like I was saying earlier about you read a passage, what's the thing that you make think of most? What what struck me most? And the thing that struck me strongly about that was he knew. Robbie Dawkins, when he was praying for these people, knew they were going to be healed. He knew because the Spirit had told him. And it comes back to what I was saying here. Remain in me, Jesus says, and my word, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Robbie Dawkins, in that connection he had, this is how I read it, knew that he could ask for this and it would be done. So he asked for it and it was done. Now I'd love to be in that situation. To not just have the, right, the, the kind of thing, I would like to do that. That would be a good idea. I would love to pray for you to be healed of your, or, or for, for anything to happen. Do I know that's the right thing to pray for? Because then it will happen. So what I want us to do, just in finishing now then, is to focus on that. We have all, I'm sure many of us here have asked to be filled with the Spirit. I'm sure many of us pray it all the time. But let's do it again, shall we? That is the way to live in Christ. If we want to do it, and I'm sure we all do, and we sort of get an idea of what it is, and I'm sure we all have. To actually do it, to have that fruitful life, that life in all its fullness. To be able to ask and find things are done, we will need the spirit more in our lives for that actually to happen. So we may have asked for it before. let's ask for it again and ask for it tomorrow. Let's continue to do that to ask for the spirit in our lives that we can actually do this and have all the benefits, of that fruitfulness is great in a way that Claire tripped over that fruitless, fruitful. That's kind of what it's about. I think what Jesus is saying, if you live in me, your lives will be fruitful. Your lives will be satisfying. Your lives will be the best lives you could have. Because I know I've got it for you. And when we look at the action of the Spirit, making that really happen. So, if we imagine ourselves to be the disciples in that upper room, listening to Jesus talking about the stuff and sort of getting it sort or not... Jesus, remember, he says elsewhere in this, so do read it. He says, it's good that I'm going. It's good that Easter will happen. It's good that I will die. It's good because the Spirit will come. And when the Spirit comes, comes into you, it's the Spirit that will connect you with me. And we see the proof of that putting on the day of Pentecost, don't we? It really did happen. It wasn't just talk. All of a sudden, the disciples were made, turned from people who believed who wanted to follow Jesus into people who did and could and do so incredibly powerfully and fruitfully because of the work of the Spirit. Stand with me if you would, please.